This is KVR Kaiju Vision Radio, Episode 47, Part 1 of 3, General Reflections, Godzilla Anime Trilogy. Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans, and welcome to Kaiju Vision Radio, a podcast about the appreciation of Kaiju and Tokusatsu movies and discovering their historical and cultural value. I'm Brian Scherschel. And I'm Daniel DeManna. That's right, everyone. Daniel is back for another episode, and this is going to be big but fun. In this episode, we will be covering the 2017 and 2018 films Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle, and Godzilla the Planet Eater. I'm glad I waited to do an episode at Kaiju Vision Radio about these movies until now, after all three parts of this were released, because at the end of the story, uh, I realized there's no way I could have predicted what part three was going to be like. I don't think anybody could. No, not possible. (laughs) Really impossible. No. Never saw that coming. As always, see the YouTube notes and the show notes for the timestamps to use to skip to different parts of episodes. This episode is split up into three parts. I'll start with the usual part one film description, then follow it with our general reflections on the anime trilogy as a whole. The short description of the movies is next. It's an analysis tailored to kaiju movies to arm the listener with the facts. You haven't heard these movies really described until you've heard them described the Kaiju Vision Radio way. You're listening to KVR Kaiju Vision Radio. Godzilla is a force of nature. He first appears in the last year of the 20th century and continues to rule over Earth for over 20,000 years. He is far bigger than any previous incarnation of Godzilla and utterly unstoppable. He can asexually reproduce. He has an incredibly long lifespan and has some biological properties of plants. He is divine punishment for human arrogance, a product of humanity's desire for endless prosperity and scientific progress, and created by nuclear weapons. His goal is to destroy humanity and anything else that challenges him. Earth's flora and fauna adapt to Godzilla's biology, radically altering the planet. Mothra is worshipped by the primitive Hotua people of Earth. She is inside an egg and also a spiritual entity. Mechagodzilla is a super-advanced kaiju made of nanometal and produced by the Bilu Saludo. After it is attacked by Godzilla, it grows into a well-defended anti-Godzilla city over thousands of years. King Ghidorah is a planet-consuming space monster and elder god worshipped by the Exif. He is from another dimension, originating from a singularity. Haro Sakaki is a captain of the United Earth Forces. He is consumed with hatred for Godzilla. He wants to regain the dignity that he and the rest of humanity lost when Godzilla took over Earth. Colonel and Exif Archbishop Metfiz is a master manipulator who uses Haro as a tool to return to Earth and complete the process of making Earth ripe for destruction by Ghidorah. Mulu Elu Galugu and the Bilu Saludo operate on logic and glorify technology. Their goal is to revive their technology on Earth to take the planet for themselves. Mina and Miana are members of the Hotua tribe of humans who descended from the survivors of the monster apocalypse. Their goal is to survive on this new, harsher Earth. 
Master Sergeant Yuko Tani is a determined and understanding woman who trusts and likes Haruo. The humanoid and kaiju plot intermix is high. There is plenty of humanoid plot activity within the three races, but the vast majority of their actions are ultimately associated with the kaiju. Godzilla is the first problem and remains so until the end of the story. First, a large landing party goes to the surface and attempts to find a weakness in Godzilla that can be exploited. They lure Godzilla to Tanzawa Pass and blow up explosives on the slopes on each side to bury Godzilla halfway up his body. They fire on the organ that generates Godzilla's shield, but it regenerates. Haruo, inside a power suit, jumps onto Godzilla's back and, once the shield is down again, jams an EMP probe into Godzilla's back. More EMP probes are inserted into his back, and when Godzilla amplifies his energy to use his atomic breath, he explodes. More EMP probes are inserted into his back, and when Godzilla amplifies his energy to use his atomic breath, he explodes. However, this was not the original Godzilla, but a smaller offspring. The next plan is to use the Mechagodzilla City and the other Bela Saluto technology to kill the much larger Godzilla. They use vultures to guide Godzilla to the city until Godzilla sees it and approaches it. They attempt to trap Godzilla by detonating the ground below him and filling it with nanometal. Weapons fire from the city to destroy some of Godzilla's dorsal plates, disabling his shield. Then they fire EMP harpoons into Godzilla's back to try to make him explode. Instead, Godzilla goes dormant and converts the excess energy to heat, stopping anyone from getting close enough to attack him. When the Bela Saludo reveal their true intentions, the Mecha Godzilla City and other Bela Saludo technology become another problem. The Bela Saludo attempt to force Haruo and Yuko to fuse with nanometal to finish the attack on Godzilla. Haruo is saved, but Yuko is disabled by the nanometal fusion process. To stop their plans from being realized, Haruo fires into the city's control room, destroying it and disabling the nanometal. Godzilla is revived and destroys the city. The Exif cult grows, and they summon Ghidorah, which becomes another problem. Haruo encounters Metfis, and after Mina and Dr. Martin Lazari deliver a message to Haruo with Mothra's help, Haruo destroys the Garbitrium crystal inside Metfis' eye. This causes Ghidorah to lose his other dimensional properties, and Godzilla expels Ghidorah from Earth. However, before Metfis dies, he curses Haruo by making him a gateway for Ghidorah to return. This is made clear to Haruo months later when Dr. Lazari revives the technology inside one of the damaged vultures using nanometal from Yuko. Haruo feels pain in his right eye, has a vision of Ghidorah, and hears Metfis' voice tell him that time is on Ghidorah's side. At this point, Godzilla, Bela Saluto technology, and Ghidorah are still unsolved problems. All three problems are solved when Haruo takes Yuko with him into the vulture and flies it into Godzilla. The problem of the Bela Saluto technology is solved because the last of it is destroyed. The problem of Ghidorah is solved because Haruo can no longer act as a gateway for him. The problem of Godzilla is solved because Haruo was the only remaining person on Earth with hatred for Godzilla. As a result, everyone who thought Godzilla was a problem is gone. The story is perhaps the most complex story in the history of the franchise, involving lofty and intellectual concepts that are followed through to their conclusion. It incorporates significantly altered versions of the Zillions, originally from Invasion of Astro Monster, and the Black Hole Planet 3 aliens, originally from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Subplots are not as developed, while the focus is on the main story involving the protagonist, Haruo. Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, and Godzilla, the Planet Eater, were written by Gen Orobuchi. 
Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle was written by Gen Orobuchi, Sadayuki Murai, and Tetsuya Yamada. A prequel novel titled Godzilla Monster Apocalypse was released in Japan. Official novelizations of Godzilla Planet of the Monsters and Godzilla the Planet Eater were written under the supervision of Gen Orobuchi. Godzilla Planet of the Monsters received a manga adaptation which covers events not depicted in the movie that lead up to the events in Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. The budget of each of the anime films is unknown at the time of the recording of this podcast. They were produced by Toho Animation and Polygon Pictures. These are the first theatrically released feature-length anime for the Godzilla franchise. The quality of the animation received mixed reviews. Directors Kobun Shizuno and Hiroyuki Sashita took great lengths to reach out to the new audiences and create a non-traditional story with more of a sci-fi approach. The powerful and emotional score was composed by Takeyuki Hattori. Original songs were performed by the South Korean singer Shia. The films have a dark, tragic, and at times hopeless tone. The story itself has many moments of despair. The events are treated very seriously. Though the kaiju genre contains a lot of fantasy, the Godzilla anime trilogy has many sci-fi elements. Most notably, these Godzilla movies take place farther in the future than any other Godzilla movie by far. The Godzilla anime movies are among the most experimental movies in the entire Godzilla franchise. Toho took many risks, including changing to the anime medium for feature-length productions, having a cerebral story, not doing traditional monster fights or depicting urban destruction, having such a dark tone, and having the main character commit suicide in a kamikaze attack. The studio tries new things, offering an artistically unique and multi-layered philosophical perspective on Godzilla. Godzilla Planet of the Monsters represents an expansion of style for the Godzilla series because of its anime medium, dark tone, lack of monster fights, and focus on being thought-provoking. This represents the first expansion of style for the Godzilla franchise since the year 2000 with Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle and Godzilla the Planet Eater reinforce the style of Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. The movies are made in order to bridge the gap between Shin Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters, to create new Godzilla fans, and to take the franchise in a different direction. Originally, the story was supposed to be an anime series instead of a theatrical trilogy, but they were released in theaters to help keep the Godzilla name in the public eye. The films are aimed at fans of Japanese anime and people who aren't necessarily hardcore Godzilla fans. Like Shin Godzilla, they are primarily focused on the Japanese audience and are organically Japanese creations. The big idea was to create a thought-provoking anime-style story that includes a cohesive concept that connects Godzilla to the entirety of human existence. Godzilla Planet of the Monsters was released in theaters on November 17, 2017 in Japan. It made $3.1 million at the box office. It was estimated that the total would be $5 million. The anime features were released in less than half the theaters that Shin Godzilla was released in. It was released worldwide on Netflix on January 17, 2018. It has a rating of 6.0 on that movie database, with 5,677 votes at the time of the recording of this episode. Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle was released in theaters on May 18, 2018 in Japan. It was also moderately successful, earning 100 million yen, or $826,000 in its first week. It did not perform as well as Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. It was released worldwide on Netflix on July 18, 2018. 
It has a rating of 5.8 on that movie database, with 2,698 votes at the time of the recording of this episode. Godzilla the Planet Eater was released on November 3, 2018 at the Tokyo International Film Festival and then released in theaters on November 9, 2018 in Japan. It was released worldwide on Netflix on January 9, 2019. It has a rating of 4.9 on that movie database with 1,633 votes at the time of the recording of this episode. The anime features have received mixed reviews from critics and negative reviews from some traditional fans. Of the three parts, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle seems to have drawn the most negative reviews. There is no difference between the Japanese and English language versions of the anime movies other than the English dubbing done by Post Haste Digital. There are many forces at play. There are conflicts between civilization and the individual, humanity and nature, humanity and technology, humanity and religion, and coexistence and hate. Many of the characters and races represent philosophies. Godzilla and other monsters are part of the cycle of civilizations. Haruro wishes to reverse this cycle by killing Godzilla and having humanity retake Earth. The Exif want to speed up the cycle in order to create Godzilla and then have Ghidorah consume Earth. The Bilo Saludo want to stop the cycle by physically uniting with the technology and taking over Earth. The Hotua peacefully coexist with Godzilla. With his extreme self-sacrificial attitude and his refusal to stop fighting, Haruo represents some aspects of Japanese militarism. His suicide presents him as the last warrior with hatred toward Godzilla. The story has many themes. One major theme is the necessity to give up hate. Haruo is incompatible with the world ruled by Godzilla. As such, he must extinguish his hatred to find inner peace, and so it will no longer influence those left on Earth. Another theme is that Godzilla is inevitable and part of a cycle that humans initiate due to their nature. He is the result of humanity's hubris. This implies that human evolution, human nature, and progress could be a curse. Humans thought they were the rulers of Earth, but now they must coexist with Godzilla in order to survive. Another theme is that humans should not blindly trust technology or cult-like religions as a way to save themselves. In the post credit scene, the Hotua have a life-affirming folk religion which encourages ridding oneself of negative emotions like fear. The ending implies that Haruo's sacrifice gave those left on Earth a chance for survival. That concludes part one. You're listening to KVR Kaiju Vision Radio. We will now commence with our general reflections on the anime trilogy. I imagine uh, you probably encountered these movies the same way I did. I saw them as soon as I could on Netflix, which I understand is a streaming service. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much how I found them, too. I I followed the hype train on these things from, you know, when the first concept art was teased. And I, I tried my very best to avoid spoilers because the Japanese theatrical release date was in November of 2017 and then of course planet of the monsters dropped january 2018 so i did my best to avoid spoilers and uh i remember i was actually so excited to watch it i I actually did not have internet in my apartment at this point my roommate had just moved out and i was internetless but i couldn't wait and so i um i turned my phone into a mobile hotspot and i streamed this thing at like three or four in the morning when it dropped in you know eastern time zone because i was so ready to see it and of course I watched it and then I got up and went to work, <laughs> you know, very, very tired, but Hey, it's not every day you can wake up and turn on Netflix and see a new Godzilla movie. 
So I had to, I had to do it. So that's how, that's how I saw the first one. And uh, it was kind of weird because I, I saw Shin Godzilla on opening day in Japan in 2016 when mm-hmm. it came out. And so it was weird to be sitting, sitting in my living room, you know, watching the the next one on my laptop on, on Netflix. It was a weird kind of a switcheroo, but I'm, I was very glad I did because I finished it. And, um, I went to, to work very excited and I was like, what does that ending mean? And it was a long wait to get to, uh, to the second part. And then of course the third part just dropped uh, at the time of this recording, about 19, 20 days ago or at the beginning of this month. And, uh, so yeah, I saw them all on Netflix and, um, I'll tell you what, it's, it was an, it was a fun year following along and being excited for these movies. It felt like it wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be until the next one came out. Actually. Um, it, it's because it wasn't like a whole year in between each of these. So that was nice at least. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting because 20, 2018, I mean, we, we didn't get the third part, in America till, you know, like I said, at the beginning of this month in January, but this is the first time we've gotten two Godzilla movies in one year since 1964. Yeah. Which is pretty, which is pretty darn cool. Last time was Mothra versus Godzilla and Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. It's been a long time since that's happened. So just knowing that there are two Godzilla movies coming out in one year is exciting because, you know, us in America got one and two in 2018 and then in japan they got two and three in 2018 but either way american fans and japanese fans each got two godzilla movies in one year and they were separated by you know certain number of months but it was darn exciting waiting for them to come out towards the end of part three miana says how she doesn't hate godzilla and i think that's that was interesting but then i thought well that's really the way i would like people to think about these anime movies I don't hate it, but when I saw these, I I liked part two more than part one, and when I saw part three, I liked it way more than both parts one and two just because of the events that occur. I didn't expect it to do what it did, but it was ballsy. No, it, it absolutely was. It was a very daring trilogy of films as a whole, and it ended on a very, very daring note in the third one. This is a trilogy where I expected very little of anything to happen. I went into these films with zero expectation about what I was going to see or wanted to see. I didn't want to see anything. I wanted to see an anime Godzilla movie, and I got three of them. So I have nothing to complain about. I've I've really, really, just like you, I've enjoyed these, these movies quite a bit. I really dug Planet of the Monsters quite a bit. For all the flack it got, uh, City on the Edge of Battle, I enjoyed it really, like, a lot. I loved the daring approach that they took to Mechagodzilla, which we'll talk about later. And then the third one was just mind-blowing and very intelligent, I thought. It has these films have an interesting philosophy to them that I hope fans will maybe try to learn about a little bit as as time goes on. I hope time is friendlier to these films than uh some fans are being to them right now. And of course, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. You don't have to love these movies, but I think they might offer more to talk about and dissect and especially to think about than a lot of, uh, a lot of fans may give them credit for. That's what I think anyway. Regarding expectations, I'm about the same as you. I didn't really have anything in my head of this is what I think they're going to do, or this is what I want to see. I wasn't sure at all. And I didn't really go into speculation 
because I didn't want to get my hopes up that it was going to be one thing or another thing because then I would just I was just going to get let down and I didn't want to set myself up for it. Exactly. But what they ended up doing was so surprising. I don't even know what I had in my head as what I thought they were going to do. And what they did was uh, it, it works for me. It really is interesting because the characters in this a lot at least most of these bigger characters in this whole story one of the complaints was that the characters aren't fleshed out or something like that it's because these characters represent philosophies that's a very good way yeah of saying it i agree because we don't find out about these people's life story as much haru and we, we don't need to do. that's the thing but yeah, we, we figure out what he's up to because you can, he's our protagonist. Right. We have to know what motivates him. But other than that, your your analysis of each character essentially representing multiple sides. I'd like to say different sides of a coin, but this isn't a two-sided no. thing. There's multiple angles of these. It's it's more like a you know a Dungeons and Dragons paradise, you know, where it's got all these different sides. You've got the Exif with their philosophy, the Bilasalida with their philosophy the humans with their philosophy and then Haruo with his own uh, way to approach things. And then some of the individual characters that pop up here and there, I, I tell you, I wasn't expecting that when I heard Godzilla anime, you know, I think a lot of people's first thought was, well, now they're going to be unrestricted in what they can show. They're going to, they're going to show crazy giant monster battles and they're going to have all these different monsters in there. And it's going to be insane. And I, I think a lot of people weren't expecting uh, the thinking man's Godzilla anime. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're shockingly intelligent. And uh, I mean, it's not surprising when you consider the, some of the people that, that worked on it. Um, a lot of the people that worked on this, if you know their work, you know that they do dive into philosophy and a lot of their stuff. And it was an interesting team to go for, to do a Godzilla story. And just like you said, for me, it worked. I didn't need to see giant monsters, you know, fighting and again, you know, I love it. You can't go wrong with a good monster battle, but this didn't need to do that. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of glad it didn't and that it did try something very, very new, very, very fresh. But it worked. It worked for me as well. I uh, I enjoyed each one a little bit more than the last one. And I've uh, I've rewatched them now. The only one I haven't rewatched since it's come out is the, the third one. But I paid very close attention to it for all our discussions here. It's been interesting looking at how other people were reacting to it and comparing it to how I'm watching it. And um, I'm not a very critical movie viewer in general, but they just worked. They just worked for me. I had fun. There's plenty to appreciate. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, it made me think. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be doing this the, the way Kaiju Vision Radio always does, with the exception of Godzilla 98. And I, th I believe that's the only film that... Kaiju Vision Radio has actually come down hard on. It was to express our opinions. Neither of us liked it when when we did the episode. And <laughs> I did do a video of a landfill with garbage being buried and everything with, during <laughs> that. Right. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> yeah. right. But none of these other wow. movies, though, have had a video of a landfill behind them. N none of that. <laughs> I want to mention also these Heisei movies because the Heisei movies plug into this anime in a rather interesting way. And on the show, we kind of came down about 50-50 on the Heisei movies as a whole. I think the hardest one we came down on was actually Biolante. It's interesting because the Heisei movies in those episodes, we said how they brought up a lot of ideas, but they didn't really do anything with them. 
Like in Biolante, they talked about how you know all this genetic stuff with Godzilla, and this could be done and that could be done, and but but it never went anywhere. It all ended up being about a monster fight at the end. But then when I see these anime movies, though, they actually get all the ideas and they completely follow through with them, and we get this nice continuous philosophy of Godzilla that is extremely refreshing once you actually process through all of it. But this actually does what the Heisei movies didn't. This actually followed through. And that's what I like about these anime movies in comparison to the Heisei movies. I had decided to see part three of the anime. When I saw it one of the times, I turned on the English dubbing. I turned off the subtitles. I was actually, frankly, very impressed at the dubbing and how how listening to what is being said in English actually made me understand what was going on in the film more. Reading it and listening to the Japanese, first of all, it's a lot of reading that you have to do in these movies. There's a there is, lot. It is very dialogue heavy. And if you don't speak the language, you're doing a lot of reading. And uh, there are a couple of moments I had to, I paused the movies on my, I want to say my first or second viewing, especially in the second one when they're discussing um, the Bilosalado and their, their philosophy towards what Mechagodzilla means to them and how they feel like they need to join with it. There was a lot of talking in there. It, I could definitely see how the dub would help. I mean, I've the only one of these uh, so far that I have seen dubbed is the first one. I haven't actually seen the dub for uh, part two and part three yet. My plan is to uh, find a night here coming up soon where I can marathon all three of them back to back in English because I marathoned them in Japanese and I really want to marathon them in uh, in English now because I really I really dug the the dub for the the very first one. I know there are a lot of people that have complained about um, some of the characters. And their their voices, but to me, just like you said, um, there is an, a certain amount of clarity that comes with watching it in English, and I think it works better for an anime too. Because when you're watching something dubbed in live action, there's always a, a hokiness to it that you really can't get away from, just because of the lip movements and and uh, you know mat- trying to match the the phonetics and the vowels, and like dubbing is a an art form that uh, it's hard to do it well. Uh, you can get great voice actors like for the a lot of the 60s Godzilla films from Teacher Sound had phenomenal voices. And those are some of the best dubs for any movies right. you'll ever see. But there's, you know, like there's always a hokiness that goes along with it. But dubbing for an anime is an entirely different yes. beast. It's not restrained by that. It's not as big of a deal. And yeah. listening to Japanese anime with in English, I've done plenty of that. And, and I've oh, survived me too. just yeah. fine. I mean, I, I, yeah. it, you're exactly right. It's, <laughs> uh, it's different when it's live action, what's going on. You don't accept it as easily. But I, I liked, yeah, but I liked I, the guy yeah. who does the voice of Metaphys. He's like veteran actor, too, voice actor. He's, he's great. I mean, I haven't seen him do uh, part two or three yet, but his performance in number one was by far my favorite voice yeah. performance from that dub. And I really dig the guy who did, um, who did his voice in the Japanese version, too. Uh-huh. He's got this kind of high, high-pitched uh, smarminess, but also this kind of calmness to him. But it's not a calming calm. It's a creepy uh-huh. calm. You know what I mean? It's in this this guy that they got, and I I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, the gentleman who did his voice for the dub was he he nailed uh-huh. it. He was imposing, but in a very quiet way. And sometimes 
quiet imposing is the scariest imposing. He did a great job. The dub, I really quite like the dub. And to me, like like I was saying before, it, dubbing anime is not the same because the, you don't have to match right. vowels in the lip movements and you don't have to be exactly there. And I feel like there's an art to dubbing anime here in the United States now as, as opposed to maybe 20, 25 years ago where there's really an intent on the on the part of the people who are doing the the dubbing and writing the dialogue to translate things as accurately as possible. It's not like back in the old four kids days when they would edit the guns out of the goons hands in Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's and they would change plot lines, for, you know, and they would edit things out or sometimes entire episodes or most of episodes would just be straight up deleted and removed. Um there's an intent now to preserve the original artistic merit of these shows. I think it has a lot to do with the people you get, obviously. It has to do with the script you're given, which was a, a pretty good translation from the one I saw. And it has to do with uh, with taking it seriously. And it has to do with the medium of anime in particular. Yeah, and uh, it feels more like anime listening to the English dub for some reason for me. I think it's either nostalgia or just the way that I've typically heard it. But on Kaiju Vision, you know, usually we say, listen to the Japanese, read the subtitles. But with this, I, you can do either or, really. Either or, yeah, absolutely. Because the, the, there are some interesting and very sometimes complex things that are talked about in this, it's almost easier to listen to the English explanation of it. I, I definitely and, and agree. Have it, yeah. and, not ha- and actually not have that language barrier because you want to be able to understand what's going on, at least yeah, philosophically, and, and because there's a lot of that going yeah. on in this. So I really wish another anime has had been made maybe as a prequel to this with the events that occur in the book that came out in Japan. It's, oh, it's goodness, kind of like yes. a fan yeah, fiction. Absolutely. Yeah, it would be really different than the animes after it. But I would still say that maybe they should have done that just to have the one candy anime. I don't know. But the events in it look really interesting. That's I'd watch the heck out of it, I yeah. thought maybe they should do that. No, the, the events of the book are just insane. And they they do sound like the plot of an anime, you know, kind of just put into book form. Um, I've been studying those books actually quite extensively for the Godzilla novelization project because one of my side projects on the website is a timeline yeah. of all the different Godzilla continuities. And my it's crazy because as of this recording right now, the, p- the page on my website that gets the most hits is the anime Godzilla hmm. timeline. More than any of the novels, um, by a hair, it is it is really popular. It gets hits almost all the time. I check it, and um, I add I haven't added to it in a while, but um, it took me a long time to to work on cross referencing you know my own translations of the book. And, um, you know, and feeding it through different things and looking what other people were saying and basically transcribing out in bullet point timeline form all of the events that happened in the <laughs> in the these the novels, because there's two novels. There's um, uh, Monster Apocalypse, which was which came out to promote the first movie. And then Project Mechagodzilla came out to promote the, the second movie. And there there were initially, I believe, plans to do a third one to tie into the third film. But the author of the book kind of lamented that there wasn't a whole lot of timeline space left to work with. And um, which is sad because he mentioned, and for those who don't know that, like name a Toho character or a mech, it's in this prequel chunk of the anime story. You know, I think one of the only big monsters that didn't appear was Space Godzilla. Pretty much every other one showed up 
it's right down to like flocks of Rodan eating refugees in, uh, in mm. Africa. And they, like, it's, it's craziness. Like man-sized Kamakiras just swarming subways in New York. Just, just crazy, crazy stuff. You get to find out about Mothra and where she came from. Batra's in there. Gigan shows up as a right, uh, yeah. organic version. It's just nutty stuff. And honest to goodness, if there were to be an adaptation of that as an anime, I could see it doing pretty good. I could see it doing really good because it seems kind of tailor-made for it. And I think one of the complaints I've seen a lot is uh, the, the the movies weren't as interesting as the as the books. They should have made the books, the anime. And um, you know what? The anime, the, the books would have made great anime. And you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll do it someday. That'd be cool. But the movies themselves, to me, stand perfectly fine without having to interject any more monster action into that. No. But, I I'd watch I'd watch the heck out of an anime series based on the prequel events. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'm wondering if if the way that these movies were released, maybe they should have released them all at the same time on Netflix. It's an interesting thought. Just have like yeah. the, everything on there. I don't know, but I'm trying to think of a way that these could have been released where we would be able to get the whole story more easily because these movies are not standalones. No. It's one big movie with three parts. Yeah, well said. It's it's essentially a a, a giant three act film. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like Kurosawa length if you were to stick them all together. You know, you basically got this giant four and a half five hour no not five hour maybe four and a half hour or a little less movie that tells one very continuous story. It essentially took a story and one very long movie and stretched it out into three parts over the course of a year. It got us from 2016 to 2019. We're here now, and we got three Godzilla movies in that time. Like, that's craziness. Yeah, I just feel like I wish that people knew the end of the story easier and sooner so that they could... I think maybe they would have been a little bit, little less harsh on, on the other two. Because... This ending and the third act is so utterly important that mm-hmm. considering the other two without knowing the end of the story, you're really out in the middle of nowhere. I think people are starting to be kinder to these anime features now that the third one has come out. They've finally gotten the whole story because the, the first two parts, when you rewatch them after you've seen the all, all three, the, the first two actually are better because in the first movie especially – you know what is going on and you're able to be like, okay, this is what Metfees is doing where he's engineering all of this stuff going on at the beginning in the first movie. I didn't really watch that because you don't really know what to make of Metfees at the beginning. You know, he's a very, there might be something going on. You you don't explicitly know, but when you rewatch the first two, then you're like, Oh, okay. I totally Mm -hmm. see what's going on here. Um, and it just has a different, you just have a different feeling watching it the second time. It almost feels like there's more going on too. It adds to it in a really big way. These movies have like what, what they say in, you know, video game circles, uh, replay value. (laughs) You know what I mean? You can start again and you can go through it again and you'll pick up something new. What you're saying is absolutely right. The understanding a lot of part one and part two comes after you've seen the third one. Big time. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere and the mood of the anime series is just, it's doom. It starts out dark and it stays dark. I like the doom. I like the futility of the actions that the humans take. The stories take on the folly of man, the folly of organized religion, 
the folly of trusting technology too much, how man has failed, how we're stuck in a civilizational cycle and can't get out. And just looking around, the world has never been in the midst of so many unsolvable problems. And this story, I believe, reflects the times. And I like the intensity, I like the darkness of the story, and at least the, the mood that I've been having over the past couple of years is this anime series really nailed it. That's a, it's a yeah. very complex and kind of depressing ending. If I, mean, I don't think so, but it's, I think it's a happy ending in a way too. But it's a complex ending for sure. I don't think people were expecting that either. But I do like it. It's just that mood-wise, it might not be everybody's cup of tea. No, I, I would agree with but that. But at the same time, I really, I really appreciate where it's coming from. It transforms over the course of the series, too. It starts out with like this apocalyptic feel, and then it just becomes despair living on the ship. And then it becomes the futility of man trying to fight against nature. And then it becomes the futility of man against a technology that they can't hope to understand. And, uh, you know, that one side is basically saying, give yourself over to it and you'll become better and you'll win. And then the other side says, no, you totally shouldn't do that. And then it becomes downright Lovecrafty and dark. Yeah. In the third one. And it just feels like not just the world's going to end. It feels like the universe could rip itself apart. I mean, and that's not something they really touch on, but just the idea that all of it has been building to this, um, this you know, this universe opening moment that's going to decide the fate of Godzilla, the characters, the humans, the Hochua, the, the you know, the Bilasalda, the X of everything. It's all been leading to this moment, and you're not quite sure. Like we were saying before, there's no way to predict how this thing was going to end because it is so twisted and, and dark, just intelligently put together, and it took so many risks. Yeah especially in the third one, especially there's no way. And, oh, I appreciated that so much because if there's one thing going on in a lot of movies these days, it's that nobody's taking risks. And I, I'm, that's not to say I don't enjoy a lot of movies that have come out. I mean, I love to sit down and watch movies. I'm not a very critical person when it comes to movies, but there, the amount of not taking riskness that's happening right now, and especially in Hollywood is kind of starting to get a little it's, crippling. It's the and, play it um, safe Hollywood era. And I actually said this in a couple episodes of Kaiju Vision. I don't remember which episodes, but I said basically that it's like the financial department and the financial advisors at the studio are the ones who are making the decisions because it's all about exactly. getting this money ball and rolling it down the snow covered hill and getting it to snowball as big as possible. Mm -hmm. Heck with everything else. And it's about safety. And exactly. It's about get, getting rid of risk. Dependability. And predictability. Yeah. It's like your financial advisor was planning it. Yes. It, it has an effect. <laughs> uh, I'll say that. It does. It just, it starts making films feel like they were... Uh, financial vehicles. Yeah. Pressed, packaged on an, on an assembly line. It reminds me a lot of the the science of like how certain companies design the colors and the shapes on their billboards based on the human brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, like McDonald's is like, well, yellow makes you hungry and red, you know, that kind of thing. But just kind of more by the numbers and less intelligent. Just let's people like this. Let's do this for the eighth time. Let's do this for the ninth time. Um, like th this last, um, here's a good example. So last year I, I went and saw the Meg. I actually really, really enjoyed the Meg. It was a fun, fun movie. But the minute the movie started and Jason Statham's uh, 
you know, he had to leave his friends behind in the submarine. Uh, I knew exactly what that character was going to do for the rest of the movie. I knew every beat that would happen. I knew every, you know, pretty much every line of dialogue vaguely. I mean, I didn't know specifically, but I knew that he was going to go away and then something was going to happen and they were going to have to go find him. And he'd be like, oh, you want me back? Uh... (laughs) I'm not going to do that. And then they throw the one thing in there that convinces him to come back. And it's the same plot we've seen a thousand times. And it's, it didn't bother me because, you know, I, I, I went to go see a giant shark movie. I don't need Kurosawa levels of sophistication when I'm going to see a giant shark movie. But the fact that I'd seen that plot every movie ever made ever. Yeah. You know, in the last couple of years. Again, it doesn't really, there are people that it really, really bothers them and that's fine. It didn't bother me because I just wanted to go have fun and watch a movie and I I thoroughly loved the Meg. But it is still a thing and it is still a problem because it's basically the same beginning of Pacific Rim if we want to keep it in kaiju terms i mean you know something happens to raleigh and then they need him back and so they're like hey you want to come back nope Uh actually you probably should and he goes back so it's it's the same thing it's happened a thousand times and um again i don't let it i don't let it bother me but the fact that i'm seeing the same thing again because it's proven to work that's where these new godzilla films these last couple years i think have really shined and that's uh, like shin godzilla did not play it safe shin godzilla you know, in, in some ways kept to a formula, but they took some, some risks in that thing. It paid off in a very, very, you yeah, know, big way, money-wise, yeah. critically-wise. Yeah, and so the, the idea that Shin Godzilla has emboldened Toho to let people take more risks with a franchise that, you know, could very easily go stale after 34 movies— by the end of 2020, there'll be 36 Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. And you think, how do you keep that from going stale? Well, you make an anime movie with a philosophical bent to it. Yeah. What an interesting idea. And you make it hard sci-fi, but also philosophical. Lots of risks. Yes. It's really not unheard of for a franchise to subvert expectations every once in a while. Like in just a week ago or so, I did an analysis of the Godzilla movies and I decided which ones expanded the franchise stylistically. Yeah. Obviously, these anime movies are expansion of style. Planet of the Monsters is the expansion of style and then it is carried over stylistically in two more movies. So uh, that's how that works because we're breaking new ground and you have to keep breaking ground because if not, then you might end up sliding backwards. And once you start sliding backwards, you might just fall on your butt. And so you have to be careful exactly. about that. I'm, I'm a big fan of Hitchcock. Well, Hitchcock frequently subverted the expectations of his audiences. He, he, was, he was amazing at it, yeah. He wanted it so that people didn't know what was going to come next. And that's how you keep things fresh. Along with all the risks that these movies took, I definitely do laud them for taking the risks. You don't just want to put things in neutral and then just let it and let it coast. Yeah. You might end up in a lot of trouble that way. So it's it's very true. Japan is doing the more experimental things. They're doing the more ambitious things. And then America is doing what it is used to doing by this year, which is play it safe and have a lot of money. I think uh, I think it's nice balance to have the Japanese doing stuff that we don't expect. Exactly. I'm I I I definitely agree with everything in that sentence. That's it's true. I mean, these films have and I think that's the thing that's attracted to me that me to them the most, honestly. It's the thing that's turned a lot of people off. But for me, 
the narrative, philosophical, and just like all of the risks that have come about from these films, to me, have really been interesting choices. Um, perhaps none more to, to me personally than how they handled Mechagodzilla. Let's talk about an interesting route for Mechagodzilla, because again, how many movies have we gotten where Godzilla fights a Mechagodzilla? We've a gotten. Lot. We've gotten five, yeah, we've gotten five so far, and yeah, we, they each have a different way of approaching it. One's an alien, one's basically a giant tank, and then one of them is a half Godzilla, it's basically a cyborg. And you've got this new one here that's kind of a mixture of all of them, but they don't ever fight traditionally, but they do fight. And the way that they pulled it off, to me, is one of the most interesting things about any of the films. Talk about a risk, and for a lot of people it just it just didn't pay off because... They wanted to see the monsters bash each other, but if you're gonna if you're gonna stay, you know, and again, I I will never deride a Godzilla movie for having a robot hit a monster. I love those movies, but if you're gonna if staying safe and even stale, dare I say stale, is your goal, then that's what you should do. But if you're you've already got these films where you're doing these amazing things and taking these amazing risks, why not? make Mechagodzilla melt and reform into a city and have Godzilla fight a city. Yeah, and there's, of course, a danger of it taking over the entire Earth. Even better. (laughs) Yeah, it is basically Godzilla 2.0 in that it's trying to do the same thing Godzilla cells are, which is proliferate across the planet. And does that make it any more dangerous or less dangerous than Godzilla or equal? Like, that's interesting. (laughs) Like, that is, that's fascinating to think about. And all the Mechagodzillas have been beautiful and wonderful in their own ways. You've got the original film and the fact that it's, you know, like, especially in Terror of Mechagodzilla, where it's being, you know, being controlled by this girl. And, you know, you wonder what that's going to happen. And then you have the life versus artificial life thing from the Heisei films. And then the ethics of using not just a body and DNA, but the soul of a dead creature to fight a living creature and you know the ethics that come from that from the Kiryu films that's fascinating and this new Mechagodzilla idea of it basically being a second Godzilla but technological instead of organic is just god that's just a cool idea I think that film and the way Mechagodzilla was handled was really let down by the marketing from Toho who basically said yes Godzilla and Mechagodzilla will have the ultimate battle and it got expectations up high and when it wasn't too vaguely humanoid kaiju beating up on each other people were disappointed and the disappointment kind of clouded an ability to appreciate the uniqueness of the concept and that's not everyone of course and of course every like I said before you don't have to love Mechagodzilla in the anime films you don't have to love City on the Edge of Battle but don't just write it off because it wasn't two monsters beating up on each other. You know, that that does a disservice to the creative people involved and an idea that is just ridiculously unique. And whether or not it was pulled off, you know, effectively is up to each viewer, I guess. But for my money, it's one of the more interesting things that they did in this trilogy. The next episode of this podcast will be the second of the three-part episode on the Godzilla anime trilogy. It will be the main discussion, which is usually part two in episodes. We will discuss all three movies as a whole story, and it's fascinating. I'd like to send a shout out to our patrons, Kiyoe Toshi and Sean Stiff. Thank you for your support. I really appreciate it. Kiyoe donated at the Kaiju Scholar level, and Sean donated at the Kaiju Visionary level. Donating is worth it. It gives you the inside track to what's going on in the show, and you get to message with me personally. If you'd like to send some feedback, I'd love to hear from you. The email address is feedback at kaijuvision.com. 
You can also follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Kaiju Vision Radio is available on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, YouTube with scenic videos, and on kaijuvision.com. If you like the podcast, please donate on Patreon. I'm Brian Scherschel. I'm Daniel DeManna. And this is KVR Kaiju Vision Radio. See you next time.